Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? Despite San Francisco being in the orange tier, we decided to record from our respective apartments today for many reasons, one of which is to avoid having a lot of background noise. That's one of them. I mean, I had to say sorry to the audience that they have already like, just put up with the last two episodes. They weren't as bad, I think. That's as the first ones that we ever recorded, but they still are a different... Not... Yeah, they're the part two. They had a, a crucial conversation with me before this podcast saying I need to speak louder. So I commit <laughs> to all seven of you listeners, I will speak louder. Yeah, you owe them that. You owe them that. I do owe them that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what did we watch today? We watched the 1992 masterpiece, Bram, Sto Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And I'll say that you recommended this film. I didn't know that it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And I do pride myself on knowing or having seen like good vampire films i'm not like a huge fan but i feel like when there's something interesting i do like the genre of vampire films and i had never seen this film you were surprised you wanted me to watch it and that's how we got here yeah and i uh, and you already like just basically said why i picked it but yeah i was like surprised that you didn't that you had never watched it i knew that the reception of this movie was not too good back then when it was released but at the same time when i watched it the first time that probably it was 20 years old or something i didn't even watch it when it was released i watched it like some years later i remember like the things that it isn't that bad i mean it's not a masterpiece but i think that they are like very there are some elements that i like now we will go over those elements later so in 1992 i was eight which explains why I missed this film, essentially. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's, I understand why I didn't watch it. And now, after watching it, I'll understand why I should have avoided it. <laughs> watch it. <laughs> so, uh, what is this movie about? This movie is essentially a very faithful adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, it's not that surprising. Um, it is surprising in how faithful it was. I think, how many interpretations of Dracula do you think were produced before this? I mean, countless, I would say. I mean, a lot of people had had created or like turned the book into a film, but they've all taken creative liberties. Mm -hmm. um, so Francis Ford Coppola took the story that Bram Stoker write, wrote and he turned it into a, a, a film. So Keanu Reeves plays a solicitor from London mm -hmm. and he essentially, he's very ambitious. He wants to become more wealthy. He wants to, he, he wants to kind of climb the social ladder, but not in like a, yeah. he's not yeah. like a social climber. He just wants to be worthy of his wife. His wife, his uh, fiance is, yeah. is Winona Ryder. Mm -hmm. They have a very nice love affair. And then because he's employed by his law firm, his law firm sends him to Transylvania, where they said, hey, there's this very eccentric count, Count Dracula, he wants to move to London, you need to go to Transylvania to save him, or it's to help him move to London. Yep. So he yep. does go. Um, count Dracula... The backstory that this film gives of him is that he is the bravest soldier in the Transylvania like army and he goes to to fight the turks when the turks are trying to take over constantinople um he wins his battle but the turks played a dirty trick and they told uh winona ryder that he had died in battle so well winona ryder is that he tells like his wife the turks tell his wife that he happens to be yeah i'm sorry i can't remember her name her her modern name is mina yeah. But I can't remember her name back in the, the day. So he wins the battle, but the Turks tell her that he's died. So she commits suicide. And when he returns to his castle, he's completely devastated. And then uh, this is just guessing, but he spent eternity. Well, this is important to say. 
he got super upset that he was trying to protect the church and then his fiance died. And so he goes batshit insane inside a church and he stabs like a holy cross and the cross starts to bleed and everything in the church starts to bleed. And essentially he became a vampire because he was so upset. But I will say that part of the charm of this film is that they didn't bother to like explain how he became a vampire. It's not important. Well, I mean, I had a feeling that probably on the original book that was not that explained either, you know, from the perspective that it's like it's part of to the imagination. It's a folklore tale. It's not about like a sci-fi kind of thing. So, yep, he just basically, uh, how do you say, like, dirty, like, soil the name of Christ in the church. And he's like, and that's a curse. It is throws a curse. That's it. Now he's a vampire. Extremely blasphemous. He did everything that you could, that you would say is offensive inside a, a Catholic church, and it was Catholic, right? Yeah, probably. You would you would guess it was Catholic. Yeah. Um, so then the the film cuts away, and you just you assume that he became this vampire, and it, it fast forwards many 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 years later. That's when Keanu Reeves goes to Transylvania. He has a fiance in London that looks exactly like Count Dracula's bride that killed herself um and he has keanu keanu's character in transylvania and wants keanu to help him move to london then it becomes a little bit like murky about what actually happened i mean count dracula literally goes to london but but then it's like he starts to hit on Winona Ryder and they develop a relationship but Keanu is back at the Transylvania castle and he's being eaten or his blood is being uh, drank by three undead brides one of which is Monica fucking Bellucci which is the most bizarre like I was like what is that really her because she doesn't have a real role like it was I just happened to recognize her was he popular at that point we're talking 92 I don't know. So I was eight in 1992. She was 28, I think. Yeah, she should be old enough for actually this. She already had a career, a bit of a And I will career. say that I was so happy to be reminded of David Lynch's dream in Twin Peaks The Return when he had a dream about Monica Bellucci and she just showed up for a scene. And I was like, oh, there's Monica Bellucci again. Yeah. Actually, no, this was her fourth movie and i think that the previous ones they were italian so maybe this was like her breakthrough like you know, american, american exactly yeah so winona Ryder's character is in london she falls in love with the prince keanu is stuck in transylvania and count dracula morphs into many many different creatures including a vampire and a werewolf which super confused me for the first like i don't know hour he also uh, turns into a into fog into this green fog. He turns into fog. At some point, he's a lizard. At sometimes, he's a wolf. Um, it's very nebulous. And to be honest, I had a hard time following the plot because I feel like Francis Ford Coppola wasn't interested in setting up like rules or boundaries, which I ended up thinking was a very nice thing. Like I enjoyed going on that journey with him. Um, but eventually, Keanu Reeves escapes the castle. He comes back to London. He fights. Oh, no, 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 no. He doesn't go back to London. He actually asks Winona Ryder to just meet her so they can get married. That's right. So he escapes. He makes his way to some nuns. Yeah. He writes yeah. a letter. He's like, please come back. And, and she comes to him. Um, and that entire time, Gary Oldman as Count Dracula is like creating some sort of master plan in London. I don't know. Like, I honestly feel like the the the, the term jumps the shark <laughs> applies to this film. At what point? At what point does he jump the shark? I think so Winona Ryder has a best friend. Her name is Lucy, right? It's, yeah. So Lucy is basically a slut. And I know that Dracula is supposed to be about the fear of like female sexuality, like I get it. But at some point while Keanu Reeves is, he's imprisoned in Transylvania and Winona Ryder is kind of like missing him. And then Count Dracula drinks Lucy's blood, but as a werewolf. 
And I was like, wait, is this supposed to be like a completely different character? And it's like, no, it's not. It's the same person. Yep. And at that point, I was like, okay, Coppola is not interested in making sense of any of this. Nope. He just wants like a visual feast. And visually, it's, I don't want to say impressive because I could never forget they were on a set ever. Like it's so clearly a set and actors that it frustrated me. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, I felt like everything. I remember like even like, thinking about this the first time that I watched it a long, long time ago. At that point, I appreciated that everything was like a slightly fake and he was like just homaging, pretty hardcore homaging uh, 30 cinema, you know, 20s and 30s cinema. You know, is the kind of resources that they use of the early stages of cinema as we know it, the kind of blend of images that by today's standard it feels so tacky. You know? Then and I had that thought. I thought, is he is he referencing the, the golden age of cinema? Because this is so over the top, like I couldn't engage with it emotionally because it was like, oh, this is a set. Oh, like here's a an insane asylum and everybody has cages on their head like it was so ridiculous that yeah i mean we had to think that is that this is from the same director of this apocalypse now is that he could have directed in any other place in any kind of other like more authentic way but he went for this kind of very forced style you know that was the vision that he had for this is that he wanted to just say is that hey i want you to think about like the all adaptations of dracula and this is going to be like just closer to what the book was. If it makes more sense, probably not. Because that's the reason why adaptations have changed, you know, and expanded that lore of the character. But he decided to just keep it as simple and as nonsense as possible. And I will say that, so you recommended this film, you had seen it before, and then you watched it before me this week and you texted me, oh my God, I. I you know, sorry, basically, uh, regardless of how you felt about it. So I started watching the film thinking I wasn't going to like it. And the first half, I went back and forth, but I was like, this is interesting. Gary Oldman is Count Dracula? This is interesting. I want to hear more about the story. Yeah. I would say that it's like the makeup that they use on, uh, on Gary Oldman and Gary Oldman as the main villain. I think that that works well. And that's the end of the list of things that I think that they work well. <laughs> I, I I will agree that Gary Oldman's performance was spectacular. It was interesting to watch him outact Anthony Hopkins, who basically seemed completely impotent. And that's not to say I don't like him as an actor. I think he's talented, but like watching him compared to Gary Oldman, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a talented <laughs> actor. To be, but to be completely frank, and this is something that you told me, and I was just telling to a friend, is that look, I, I don't, I don't get who who did the casting for this, because you actually have like two, well, a Lebanon, a Lebanon uh, actor, a American actress just playing British people, and then you have like two British actors, Anthony Hawkins and Gary Oman, and you make them play a German accent, a terrible German accent, that. You only realize that he's German because he says ja from time to time. Well, Anthony Hopkins is an American. He doesn't have an accent. So it, it all of it feels so forced. You're looking uh, at him, aren't you? I'm looking at that, but no, he's, he's from UK, man. He's from Anthony Wales. Hopkins. Yeah. He says Sir. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. And that's what I found like hilarious. Like Gary Oldman, I think that he's also British. Yeah, no, he's definitely British. I I kept having flashbacks of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in this yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, they pick like the two. They pick two British accents, and they told me it's like just make another accent. Don't use your accent. Don't don't pretend that you are British because we know that you are British. And then you actually took like two Americans, and then you made them play a British role. That is a kid. From the first time that Keanu Reeves opened his mouth and he forces like this British accent, it's like, oh my gosh, this is painful. And I, I texted you when I started to watch this film and I was like, this is insufferable. Like I cannot watch Keanu Reeves do this for shitty sure. accent for two hours. Overall, it, it, it ended up being tolerable, but I honest to God don't understand why Francis Ford Coppola cast him. 
I mean, I get it. The early 90s, he was, you know, fire. He was, people loved him. When did Speed come out? Oh, that's a good one. I think uh, it was like 1990. Like, this was at the peak of the Keanu the era. <laughs> well, I mean, he's still like super popular. No, 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 he is, but as like a heart oh, oh, no, actually, this is like the beginning of his booming popularity. I mean, he just did like my own private Idaho. And then he did, oh. yeah. And then he did much ado about nothing. Speed in '94, Johnny Mnemonic, I walk in the clouds. So, like I said, I ended up going back and forth between whether or not I liked the film. I think visually, there's a lot that Coppola did, and sometimes I liked it, but most often I didn't. And I was like, just like make this simpler like make the vampire sexy or deadly but i i feel like he floated around a lot of ideas exactly he had no idea what he wanted dracula to be and i was willing to go on that ride with coppola but i don't feel like he took me on the ride i enjoyed <laughs> that's completely fair man that's completely fair is that for me is the first part i was like a bit on the fence as you said but i think that when uh when uh, Gary Oldman gets to London, is that things start like getting a bit more like, and then like towards the end, it felt like this is as dumb as it gets. Is it all I the last part? The... It's awful. I did read the New York Times review, of course, and it said this film is pretty good as long as you don't look for any meaning. Like if this is just entertainment, it's fine. And I. I felt that way. They also said that the sets were too intense. Actually, they they praised the sets, and for me, the sets were so distracting. I never forgot once they were actually on a movie set because it's so fake. Yeah, but also at the same time, think that this is the '90s, this early '90s. Yeah, is like so sets used to be like pretty cardboard style that is like it's super obvious what it is. And one of the things, did you did you watch or did you see or whatever the Phantom of the Opera? No, I did not. So the story reminded me oh. like a bit, you know, like the dumbness from time to time that is like, okay, the Phantom of the Opera, the more that I watch it, the or I watch the show or whatever, is it the least I like it. But <laughs> as it's a musical, as it's a musical, it has a saving grace, you know, but it's like whoever between these and cats, it's like it's pretty obvious that you are not like the most talented, you know, when you actually pick up your projects. But in any case, this one reminded me of uh, the formula, you know, the formula about like this kind of gothic love, gothic horror love. I see what you're saying and I agree with you, but I also think there were these very clever visual tricks that, that the director did that made the film creepy and like kind of unexplainable. Like Keanu Reeves is on his way to Transylvania. He's dropped off in the middle of nowhere and he's picked up by a metaphysical coach driver. And there's this cool shot where the coach driver like reaches out super far, like completely unrealistic, grabs him by the shoulder and puts him in the, in the coach. And I thought, that's that's creepy. But if the director can pull it off, and Francis Ford Coakley, this isn't his thing. Like he he doesn't do creepy, and yeah. so it felt like flat. Yeah, yeah. I think it's surprising. I wish that I knew why he decided to do this. You know, what was the motivation? Why is like, hey, you know, the last thing that I done because I think that it was like just after that, it was uh, the Godfather Part Three. I think no no this came out in 92 he had to have other films no it was in 90. the godfather part 3 was 1990 and dracula was 1992. wow so it was like just after that and it's true that the godfather part 3 is weaker than the other two because sofia for copolizing it but uh <laughs> uh and other reasons she didn't she didn't mangle the whole movie completely by herself it's like <laughs> for Coppola, i was like a bit of a probably not as inspired as with the other two or andy garcia too oh, God. um but yeah he basically decided to okay i have like these mafia stories that i excel at i'm going to be like doing something completely random I have to say that um, this thought crossed my mind many times, and it's probably unpopular. 
but I honestly thought Francis Ford Coppola is probably the most overrated director in in cinema history because he made The Godfather 1 and 2, which were good, 100%. They're a bit more than good, but sure. No, 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 they're great. Yeah. Godfather 3, shitty. What else did he do? I think he lucked into those scripts. Well, I mean, didn't he do uh, Apocalypse Now? Or was he did do Apocalypse Now in, in 1979. Yeah. And yeah. I liked that film a lot. But if you look about his entire canon, he kind of lucked into The Godfather and the rest is kind of shitty. Well, Cotton Club is good. I mean, I know that you don't like uh, musicals, but I think that Cotton Club was... I was surprised by it. It's about like, wow, okay. I wasn't expecting this to be decent. I won't say that it's, like, it's the best movie ever or anything like that, but it was like a enjoyable trip similar to I don't see that I'm open to it but if you look at his filmography on IMDb like there's nothing here that's it he was the godfather and then he started to make wine oh that's right yeah so I don't know someone told me that if they look his last movies you know even after after Dracula this is a are just bizarre is that they're like just the perspective of uh he was left to his own devices like a bit more of okay you just do your thing is that you're for coppola so is that you can do whatever um i did enjoy the conversation in 1974 i think you and i may have watched that together but i i liked that film a lot but in terms of like gravitas there's nothing more to francis ford coppola besides giving birth to sophia who gave us a lot of important cinema <laughs> I was wondering. I was after after and, and besides the like the invite for today was like Gabros go with the right Coppola. And it's like after watching this the like, holy shit, I know that he's going to be like doing a joke about Sophia for Coppola being more talented than his father. No, but all joking aside, like honestly, do you think that Sophia Coppola is making or has made more interesting films than Francis? Because I wouldn't have said that until I watched this film, and then I dived into his filmography, and I'm like, no, there's nothing else interesting he's made. Look, if he already did, he did The Godfather Part 1 and 2, and Apocalypse Now. It's like, Sofia for Coppola is never going to be doing something as important as those, uh, as those films. She's talented. I'm not saying that she's not, but it's like, when you actually look about like the time that for Coppola released those movies, is that this was like, leaps ahead of anything else you know i i respect that 100 percent. but if i were to look at uh francis ford coppola's entire like canon and sophia's the one that i want to watch is sophia's and i know we disagree about you don't like the virgin suicides you don't like um the bill murray tokyo film i like i like lost in translation and i like the you sound. have a limit to how much you like it you think it's it's good but not great exactly for me is i look this was fun to watch it i may watch it again i may still like find it funny but i never got it like to the point is that this has been like so transcendental i feel like it's defining society as a whole is but I, do you feel I, that way about francis ford coppola i would guess no there's nothing culturally innovative in these films nothing well, are you telling me that there was not like anything like culturally important in Apocalypse Now? No, you're right about that. That that's an important film. I really resonated with it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. That one, yeah, I can tell you that is okay. The Godfather is like a moth story. Is that you can say that is okay? What is the importance of the commentary or social commentary? But no, I think that uh, Coppola, on his early ages, his early years. And I think that most directors in the 70s, the good directors, they were trying to be a bit more about message, you know, trying to be a bit more of a reflection of what is happening in reality, you know, and trying to portray it on the screen. And Sofia for Coppola has never done that because she's like just the daughter of the times, you know, it's like a, when she was doing like the Virgin Suicide, she said, look, I care a bit more about atmosphere and a bit more about like the, uh, the feeling more than actually just telling you any kind of message that you can take or any any kind of thought that you can take from this. I, I do hear what you're saying, but I would argue 
the opposite point i think lost in translation is an important relevant film i think that well we know how you feel about the virgin suicides but i think it's also an important film um and then what's the film about the celebrity deadbeat dad marie antoinette <laughs> no that's just a bonus marie antoinette <laughs> I watching this film I really understood that I prefer Sofia Ford Coppola's wait is her middle name Ford no Sofia no, Coppola, Sophia Coppola yeah, I prefer yeah. her 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 filmography that being said I have a lot of complaints about Dracula but I enjoyed it much much more than I thought it would it was very atmospheric despite me getting caught up in the in the sets and the bad accents Ultimately it's it's a relatively compelling story. Again, I think it jumped the shark in the last maybe third of the film, but I found it relatively compelling for the first two thirds. So, one of the problems that I had is I can't remember it's like more disturbing. I remember like more effective, let's say. And for me everything felt as you said, more like cardboard, more like a set, more like everything has been like just constructed for this it doesn't feel like organic so when i was thinking one of the reasons sorry one of the reasons that uh, i wanted you to see it is because i tend to mention i'm sorry this is going to be like getting a bit gay but it's like if someone goes down in a ferocious way on me i'm going to be like saying is that oh this is like the vampires like the brides from dracula and, like, and when i saw it this time it's like no i was expecting like more ferocity to those scenes and they never get to actually just being like more, I don't know, raw, more primal. I I see what you say, and I agree with you. And I think, for me, the fact it was so obvious these were sets, it really detracted because there's one point where Tiana Reeves has just arrived at the Transylvania Castle. He's been very welcoming to Keanu. And he said, "Hey, don't don't leave this room. You need to sleep here." But then these basically undead brides, they come out of his mattress and they start to consume him but in a very sexual way. Yeah. But he actually goes to their room. He gets called to their room. He's not in his room. Dracula tells him, "You shouldn't leave the room." And he still does it. Yeah. No, you're completely right. Um I don't know where I was going from here. He steps in and he's like you cannot feed on him, I own him. And it's a very sexual moment and it was kind of not kind of, it was homoerotic and the women are like so upset and they're like what are we to have nothing tonight? And then Anthony Hopkins brings an infielman, infielman. Huh? Gary Oldman, not Anthony Hopkins. Oh yeah, you're right, sorry. He brings an infant and he gives it to the three undead brides one of which is monica bellucci and they eat the baby and that scene was i agree with you it wasn't that impactful but i thought a lot about um the witch yeah and how disturbing it was that the witch kills a baby in that film it's so fucking messed up but it didn't have that same like impact yeah. here why why I, didn't it? i don't know i think that it's like a he was just trying, and the thing is, like, uh, in Apocalypse Now, or even in The uh, the Godfather, he doesn't sigh from violence. I mean, it's not that he loves gore, you know, he's not like the director from Hostel or anything like that, but he he doesn't sigh from it, and I had the feeling that he was trying to say that I'm going to be, like, doing this in the way that it would have been done in the 30s with the kind of sensibility that they had there is that we are not going to be like showing anything disturbing we may insinuate it but we are never going to go like full-fledged into it and i did feel like i felt this like reticence of francis ford coppola like he wasn't fully committing to the genre i mean he did these horrific things like hey these vampires ate a baby but the entire time i was thinking this is the director of taxi no wait that's Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other. <laughs> but I just felt like there's nothing that I've seen in films by Francis Ford Coppola that make this unique. Like, there's nothing here 
that makes me feel like this film is anything beyond like a guilty pleasure that I would go see with my friends that aren't interested in film on a Friday night. Yeah, it's, it's entertainment. It's just entertainment. There is no more purpose or anything else. There is no more message. The message that you can take is love that transcends death. But it's pretty damn. Is that the reason what I think about like uh, how do you say the Phantom of the Opera and just having like this kind of I'm going to be like telling a story. It's not about like just changing your life or anything. For me, it's not so much about you thinking. It's about like undoing an exercise in aesthetic and in narrative. And in his defense, he went super. He went all out on the aesthetics. Um, for me, it didn't work because it was clearly sets and I could never forget they were on sets which really pissed me off um, overall I found the story compelling I liked it until about the last fourth of the film where I thought it kind of just lost what it was going towards and I was like no I, I, I don't care anymore um, but I feel like it had a promising setup but I feel like this is most Francis Ford Coppola films in the last 30 years. It's like, it had promise and then he didn't deliver. Yeah. Uh, part of me is actually curious to watch like other recent Coppola movies. Not from the perspective that it's going to be great, but more from the perspective that it's like, well, let's see where he went. What else he tried. And because I was interested in the director's work, I looked up the last thing that I've seen directed by him when it came out, and it was Youth Without Youth. Did you see that? It's a film that came out in 2007. No. And I watched it in 2007, and I thought, this is super underwhelming. Like, this director, I don't think has... There's not much to him. Like he can he can direct war films and mafia films, but he doesn't have anything to say beyond that. Huh. Okay. Twist. Wow. Okay. No, the last movies that he directed have been yeah. Oof. Yeah. I I don't know. A part of me is that just you know like reevaluating him <laughs> about like what is. What is his vision? What is his trademark? What makes him okay. him? What is he trying to say? I don't think that he has a clear voice. Like he's not, he doesn't approach a script and being and say like, I want to say this. He just has the script and he's like, okay, I'll make this. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not completely sure. In this one, yeah, I agree with you. In this one, I think that is like, the vision that he was is that he would. And we're going to do it as if it, as if it was the 20s. It's going to have boys, of course, but everything else is going to be like just super over the top. And to be very clear, he directed Godfather the Part 3 in 1990. Yeah. Directed Dracula in 92. He waited until 1996 to direct Jack. Did you see Jack? No. It stars... Um, Robin Williams <gasps> oh, as, a, as a guy that like ages four times faster than normal so he like gets his children friend beer and pornography and wow like who is this guy who is Francis Ford Coppola I honest to god think he lucked in to the Godfather Godfather script but he directed it impeccably uh Dracula or Godfather no the Godfather he did. It's Godfather 1 and 2. They are basically perfect films. I yep. will admit that 100%. Yep. But I think that he just happened to be the lucky director who got those scripts. Because otherwise, with if you take the Godfather out, he has one film, Armageddon Now, that people care about. Other than that, what Apocalypse. does he do? Apocalypse Now. This is not a crossover with Michael Bay. Well, you Armageddon. said Armageddon Now. <laughs> no, no, no. It's Apocalypse Now. But if you take the Godfather series and that one film, who is Francis Ford Coppola? Who is he? What does he want to say to us? Oh no! I mean, you are right about like, the perspective that he did Jack after doing <laughs> Dracula. He's like, what was going on at this point? Like, what were you thinking for just getting to this point? I honestly don't know. Honestly, don't know that you're actually right. It's like he's hard 
to identify my style per se do you know the only film in his filmography that i feel like could maybe be okay is the outsiders which is a very famous book in america um i would like to watch it i know it's respected but that's the only film looking past what the last 50 years of filmmaking that has any sort of interest at all well you also mentioned that the conversation is good yeah that's true so but reading the synopsis of the conversation isn't it a bit like the life of the others the conversation is very interesting it's it's i would say it's a lot like the seventh continent by by hanukkah it's like silent and you watch these very like tactical scenes where a car is torn apart but there's not a lot of dialogue and i do find that like experimental filmmaking interesting um it is interesting that's i i'll admit that Hmm. that's interesting i mean because apocalypse now is also like fairly experimental but the godfather godfather is not that experimental no, well, it's basically like the trope, the trope of the mafia. I mean, it is is executed incredibly well, you know. But it, he actually just dropped. Maybe there was like a bit more of a problem for him about like just being so successful with something like that that it actually just marked his whole career and he lost track of who was he supposed to be. Yeah, maybe. And I, I just wish that. I felt like I understood who he was and what he wanted to say. And I feel like his filmography doesn't provide that. I I don't know, like based on this film, I, I don't care about watching another Francis Ford Coppola film. Do you? Mm, partially, yes. As we just mentioned a moment ago, is that partially I would be interested in seeing like some of the early stuff, like the conversation. I think that it would be interesting to see how good he could get you know and then another part that it would be like interested to see how bad he could get i wouldn't watch <laughs> jack but it would be like just more like okay let's watch like something from pretty pretty early and something from pretty pretty late and just if you look at his, his filmography the godfather came out in 1972 he had one two three four five six seven eight nine ten credits before then that you've never heard of and have made no impact on our culture. None. Okay. No, that's fair. Like, have you ever heard of the bellboy and the playgirls? Or you're a big boy now? Or the rain people? People. No. No, no, you're right. You're right, man. He may be overrated, but in a weird way, a bit more like, okay, we are rating him as a director from three four movies basically but he did 20 and the rest are like just forgettable and it makes me sad because uh, after godfather one and two you're like wow this guy is brilliant he knows what to do yeah. does he no i don't think he does the best thing he ever did were those two movies and sofia coppola Just no, man. Just no. Uh, that being said, I'm being very critical of him, but I actually enjoyed this film a lot, um, at least until the last fourth of the film. Um, it took me a while to get used to the sets and the period piece, you know, infrastructure, but I, I did like this film. Gotcha. Did you like, I don't know, well, you were like to John, so probably don't remember this, but there was an Annie Lennox song on the soundtrack that he plays during the credits. So that song was like just fairly popular because they released it as a single. And if you watch the movie, you're going to be like, oh, what is the Annie Lennox song? And it's on the credits. It's like, I hate when those things happen, you know? It's like in Pleasantville, the uh, the version of Fiona Apple of Across the Universe that he plays in the credits. It doesn't play in the movie. Yeah, because I, I don't remember any any Lennox song at all. Yeah. Yeah, I was just waiting, I don't know for what for what reason, you know, like when it finished, I think that it was like just with my hands, you know, on my face, like oh my goodness. 
<laughs> and I let, let the credits like play for a bit and he said, Oh, that's right. There was an Andy Dennis song. Yeah. I mean, overall, like I don't regret that you asked me to watch this. Like, I think it's semi-important. I, I think the film is a failure, but I think as like an early 90s attempt by a director that's considered to be, you know, successful to interpret a, a story that's several hundred years old. I don't regret it, but I am not convinced that this film is important at all. All right. Uh, should we go over the questions? Yes. Okay. So, whoop. Sorry, one second. Let's see if I can get these. Uh, regular. Uh, so, would you watch it again? Yeah, I think I would. I wouldn't like look forward to watching it again, but I think there's enough there to merit a second watch. I I wouldn't honestly. I think that is like I feel like pretty ashamed of myself when I watch something that I like a long time ago, and then I watch it again. It's like oh my god. It's not that it was <laughs> terrible, but I just feel like this was no bueno let's just simply that it's not like exceptional or anything like that and it's like i just feel ashamed of myself of my old self about like you used to like this you had like a good idea you told people hey have you watched it is it maybe you could enjoy it is like, i just felt it's like i i made people like just waste two hours of their lives i i hear you and i understand you but i didn't like the film and i also appreciate that you asked me to watch it so okay i appreciate that uh could you recommend it honestly no i i can't think of somebody in my life that would like watching this and i would feel comfortable recommending it to no so something that uh, i i agree with you is like i couldn't recommend it i cannot think anyone that they would say you know what I want to watch? A good Dracula movie. And for me saying that is a Jusu was Dracula, my friend my friend Coppola. But one thing that you were mentioning earlier about uh, about for Coppola, I was thinking while watching this movie about like what do we remember Anthony Hawkins by? Because we all think that he's a great actor. He did the silence of the lambs. It's the first thing that it came to my mind. But then I struggled for a bit about like, what else did he do? That is Joe Black. And like the last the last Indian I think he did. No, that was on Connery. It was? You mean like uh, Indiana Jones and uh and The Last Crusade? The third one? No, no, no. He had a motorcycle movie that came out maybe 10 years ago. Oh, the Crystal Skull? And Anthony Hawkins was on that? No, it, it was called like The Last Indian and it was about the Indian oh. motorcycle. Oh, gotcha. I thought that you were talking about Indiana Jones. No. I'm looking the at The world's fastest and Indian? The world's fastest, fastest Indian? Yeah, the world's fastest Indian. It was about motorcycles. I mean, he was in a lot of like classics, like All the King's Men. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He's kind of like a character actor. He was in The Mask of Zorro, Amistad. Yeah, like none of this is like, wow, this is an important film. But I was thinking about the cast. You know, it's like he's 92, and when you're in retrospect, it's like, okay, we're not a writer. She's not an amazing actress, but she's okay she's you know of limited talent the same thing to Keanu Reeves Gary Oldman is an amazing actor and then we have Anthony Hawkins that's everyone will say it's like oh that's the crown sorry that's the G-Wall in the crown but it's a guy I just struggle for a bit about like why why is this you know this person like so popular I agree and I kept thinking watching Gary Oldman I was like Anthony Hopkins looks like a complete novice compared to this guy. He's so good, Gary Oldman. And yeah. Anthony Hopkins didn't do anything with... He had two parts in this film, and he couldn't deliver, in my opinion, on either of them. Yeah, to be completely also just, is like I think that the uh, role of Dracula was more interesting than uh, uh, Van Helsing. Yeah, the that's accurate. 
And yeah. I will say that Anthony Hopkins was fantastic in The Elephant Man by David Lynch. <laughs> That's true. Uh, do you think that you will remember this movie? Honestly, no. I think I'll remember that it was like entertaining and pleasant to watch, but the details, no, absolutely not. I, for me, the answer is yes. It's like I remember like many of the scenes, but actually, my imagination had elevated it. You know, as I told you, like making it like more impactful, making it, like more raw, more visceral, and everything felt like so toned down. And then now I think that my brain is never going to let me forget this. I said that it's like, no, no, you have to remember this. You have to actually prevent yourself from recommending this to anyone. Uh, is there anything artistic about it? I would argue that yes, I didn't like what was artistic about it, but um, how busy the sets were and the the characters and the extras, I mean, I was overloaded visually, which I didn't particularly like, but I will definitely remember like, okay, Francis Ford Coppola really wanted me to understand that, you know, this is a Transylvanian castle and there's dead people. I didn't like it, but I will, I will remember how over the top this was. Yeah, I personally, uh, I think that there is something artistic about it. You know, I think that the idea of, uh, as I was saying, like the homage to the 30s, I think that that works well, but also it reminds me of, you know what, Hugo. Of what? Hugo. What is that? Hugo, Hugo. Oh, like Hugo, this... the, the Scorsese film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, because it also tried to do like something similar about like being a homage to the early cinema of the tens. And I will say that it, it immediately became apparent that, okay, he is making in 1992, basically this like larger than life epic film that would have been filmed in like the 40s, 50s. Yeah. Uh, so when I understood that, I was like, okay, let's approach this from a different way. <laughs> I don't think he was successful, but I, I do see what he was trying to do. Um, yep. And it it was successful in, in a way about trying to like honor the films that came before it. I will say that it's successful, yep. but it's not my favorite. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Uh, so is, the, is, is this a timeless piece? I would say no, it felt incredibly dated to me um and i can only imagine that 20 30 years in the future to new audiences it would feel incredibly dated the themes and the the storyline yes they are timeless again it's about like unleashed female sexuality and how that threatens like old white men but the film itself feels like it's from another time not in a good way Yeah, I agree with you. At the same time, I recognize that there is something artistic about it. It requires like a mindset for watching and appreciating it and being able to put up with this. So uh, I think that probably like the uh, overall, uh, how do you say, the overall uh, leveraging on the aesthetic and the exercise, the visual exercise, I think that it actually just makes it feel like really dated. I think that it's like at that point, the special effects, they were not that good. And it's okay, I see what you're doing. I see why you're doing that. But if you're already going to tell us that you don't care so much about the script for sustaining this movie, it's like everything else should be like top notch. And it's like, it's not. It's and I had that edge. thought, there were several like cool special effects. They would have been cool if they had been done differently, but they just, they didn't do them right. So it's like, when I told you the, the driver of the chariot he reached out and he grabbed Keanu Reeves and pulled him in that could have been brilliant with a better director but it it didn't work it didn't work at all I mean for me that that part was okay but then you actually see the carriage like just crossing this blue fire and it's like super tacky it's like the kind of special effect that I would expect in the 60s and the 70s <laughs> yeah. yeah no the, the quality of the special effects were awful yeah but at the same time it's like the makeup for Gary Oldman Is, is perfect. I mean, it's like really good about like just seeing him like turn into a bat-like creature, and is that like you can still see that it's Gary Oldman. 
Yeah, no. Yeah, there were lots of good effects and lots of bad effects. <laughs> uh, could you turn this into a TV show? Absolutely not. Would you? Never. Just no, never. I don't want to see any more of the story. <laughs> and Dom, thank you. Thank you for Coppola. Um, do you think this movie could have been better? Yes, 100%. If they had leaned less on the special effects, um, dedicated more attention to the story, to the characters, yeah, I mean, a lot could be better here. A lot. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is a bit more of a, how do you say, uh, in other hands, it would have been better, but I'm not completely sure on whose hands. Yep. It's like at that point, it's like who could actually could have done something here at that time that you say is like, that was perfect. That was exactly who we needed. For doing this. That's that's what disappointed me so much about this film is like I I knew there would be things I didn't like, but I fully expected from Francis Ford Coppola that there would be more that I liked and a few things I didn't like, and there were way more things I didn't like than the things I actually liked. Yeah, and I think that you you nailed it there. There is a we expect if we think about the uh, the Godfather and Apocalypse now, we expect like complexity on his movies yeah. and there wasn't on this one it's flat Dull. all of the characters were completely like extremely basic there was no sort of like there was nothing that made them interesting or unique or like somebody you would pay attention to no no honestly no so uh so we scored these let's score it it was your pick so yeah. I score first I'm going to say a six. I genuinely enjoyed watching the film. I found the things I didn't like. There were a lot of things I didn't like, but overall, I didn't mind watching the film. Gotcha. Uh, for me, I debated. I don't know if you saw like this presence, but it was like just going back and forth. Uh, for me, it's going to be a five. I think that is just middle of the meal. Really about, like, <laughs> I look. I mean, I can watch it. You know, if I go to someone's place and they are like watching this, I may watch it, but probably I'm going to be asking them, isn't there like, I don't know, 10,000 better movies than this? <laughs> that we could be watching? All right, that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, in any case, it's like, it's not something that I want to just rip my eyes off my face, but it's something that doesn't tell me anything probably not going to, the only way that i'm going to be like remembering it is because i used to love it and i felt that jose from the past failed me <laughs> More because than he, didn't, else. he didn't see what it actually was exactly i thought that he had better taste and he didn't clearly so. i have that experience many times i'm like what i love this as a 21 year old i loved it but nope you're no longer a 21 year old uh so what are we watching this time we are going to watch the Brazilian film Baccarat. Baccarat. Yeah. All right. So, uh, anything else that we have to say about Dracula? That's it. All right. Well, to those people listening to us, thank you so much for listening. And wash your hands. Bye. <laughs>